Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Excited to be with y'all. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Genesis 1. And while you turn there, uh, I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, you're a good God, and you give us so many good gifts, and very high on the list is a marriage, uh, certainly a Christian marriage. And so I pray for these next few minutes together, uh, whether we have heard a hundred Bible studies or teachings on marriage or whether we are fairly new uh, to thinking about marriage from a Christian perspective, uh, that you would show up, Holy Spirit, in a very personalized way. There would be a sense of your presence and nearness, uh, that you would be the one really teaching us, instructing us. And this would not be in any way abstract academic knowledge, but there would be a sense of personal conviction, personal encouragement, Uh, that you'd be growing us all up, making us into the men, the women, uh, the husbands, and the wives, the mommies, the daddies that you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, kind of when I'm here, I think this I'm going to try to kind of do this same format each time, is I'm going to start out by telling one or two or maybe three very, very short marriage stories, and these are all real marriage stories, um, and... I'm going to keep everybody anonymous uh, for the most part, unless it's a story about my wife and I, because kind of used to, uh, and, and, you know, I've I always asked my wife permission if I can share these, you, so if you're ever wondering. Um, to try to help us understand maybe some, you know, something that would resonate with us, a story that will be similar to something we've been through or maybe we're in the midst of going through, and then we're going to go to the Word and try to, in a sense, look for the solution. Does that make sense? Okay. So, uh, story number one. Um, it's a couple, godly couple. Uh, leaders in their church, um, and I know this couple fairly well, um, and like most people, they have different gifts, strengths, weaknesses, and in this marriage, the woman tends to be uh, a lot more articulate. She's quick on her feet. She's better with words than the guy is, okay? Um, They have a child, and the child has a lot of medical issues, lots of visits to the doctors, hospitals, different types of surgeries, all that kind of stuff. Very hard, very stressful. Um, And the woman, because she is a lot quicker on her feet, maybe thinks a little bit quicker, very articulate, uh, and she happens to have one of her parents who is very very involved in the medical field, knows more just about anatomy and medicine all that. At some point, she kind of says to the husband, why don't you kind of let me take over the responsibility for talking and communicating with the doctor, with the nurses and all that? And the husband's kind of like, okay, that makes sense because I am struggling. I'm getting here and fumbling and not knowing what to say or ask, and it's confusing. And so she kind of takes that burden on, and he's kind of like, I'll handle other you know, duties in our life and role. And this goes on for months, maybe years. And at some point, she comes back, and he, he kind of feels awkward about it, but he can't put his finger on exactly why he feels awkward about it. And at some point, the wife comes back and is really kind of some combination of hurt, mad, angry, negative emotions that are hard to define. You ever been there? Uh, And she's kind of like, I really don't like this setup anymore. And you can imagine what his response was. Anybody want to take a guess? You asked for for this. I mean, you, you, okay, right. So uh, some of us have maybe been here, done this before. 
You, you at, this is what you said you wanted. You, you started it. You said this was a good idea. I basically gave you exactly what you want. This isn't fair. Okay. Another couple. All right. Different, but maybe some similarities. Godly couple, very involved in their church. Uh, uh, she's mostly a stay-at-home mother. They have older children. Um, he works a lot. He has a great job, and he makes really great money. But in his mind, it's never enough. She's always like, we're running out. Now, what he would say is, well, we're running out because we're doing way too much stuff. You have our kids in a different activity or a sport literally every single night of the week. I'd like to have just one night of the week where we don't have to rush around to the ball field. And she says, no, no, no. I want our kids to be involved in everything. I didn't get to be involved enough when I was a kid. I want our kid to be involved in everything. And so she's always just signing them up for more tennis or piano lessons or whatever. And he's like, this is driving me crazy. And part of the reason we don't have any, you know, money at the end of the month is because you're spending it all on a baseball tutor or whatever. It's a constant tension. And he kind of tries to say, can we please adjust the budget? And she basically says, no. And so he basically says, well, fine. I guess I'll just keep going to work, make more money, and you just spend it. Okay, he tries to lead. She doesn't really let him lead. And so he just kind of says, well, I guess I'll just... Go to work, make a bunch of money, and then when I come home and nobody's here because everybody at the ball field, I'll just go sit at the bar by myself and drink and get depressed and not a good situation. Okay. And then here's a story some of you all probably heard me share before because this was from my wife and I, and, and this was a few years ago, and my wife and I had had, some might call it an argument, some might just call it some intense communication, and uh, the next day uh, I was meeting with an accountability group of guys that I was good friends with, and I was kind of venting to them, right? I mean, you ever been in a so-called accountability group that really just turns into a vent session, right? It's like I said this and she said this and, you know, and, and my buddy, who's, who's really a good friend, uh, he said, so basically you wish that your wife would communicate with you in exactly the same way you communicate with her. And I was like, exactly. Yeah, so basically you're saying you wish that your wife would communicate like a man. I said, Okay, yeah, basically. He said, so basically you're saying you'd like to be married to a man. Now, me and this guy have a great friendship. He was jabbing me, but it stuck with me because that was probably 10 years ago, and I still remember that. I was like, that's a good point. I don't want to be married to a man. (laughs) And part of what he was trying to say to me, and this is what we're going to look at tonight, is there are God-given, God-created, God-ordained differences in the way that men and women handle communication and conflict and virtually everything. And we tend to let it frustrate us and lead to more fights. When the mature way to respond to that is to value and appreciate the differences and learn how to work together in all things, that's the way it's supposed to work. Does that make sense? So that's kind of where we're going tonight. Uh, I had a counseling professor in seminary one time, and he said, and I haven't done the research on this, um, but I, I, it sounds right. He said, you know, there, there are scientists that will say human beings and chimpanzees uh, share 97% of the same DNA. That 3% must be a pretty big difference, right? And he said... Men and women have a lot more in common than we have that are different. We're both human beings. We're made in the image of God. The list of the things that are the same about men and women is a lot longer than the list of the things that are different. And yet, that 3% difference between men and women, it's pretty darn significant, is it not? And if you want to have a happy, healthy marriage, 
you better lean into becoming an expert on the differences in men and women. So when you bump up against it, you're not shocked, you're not angry, you're not distraught. There can be the healthy value and appreciation. Does that make sense? Okay. So Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and verse 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What do we see here? We see the similarity between men and women. In fact, at first when God refers to humans, He just says, Let us make man. Let us make mankind. He's talking about men and women. And we were not going to take the time to do this, but if you went and read the whole chapter of Genesis 1, when he made fish, when he made animals, when he made birds, he didn't stop and say there's going to be male birds and female birds, although there were. He just said, I'm making them all. But then, when you get to man and woman, it slows down in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And here's part of what it's telling us, guys, is that men and women are both equally created in the image of God. So please hear me tonight. If if some of you are maybe starting to get a little tense or worried about where is this going, there is nothing that I'm going to say, and much more importantly, there's nothing the Bible's going to say that is going to say men are better than women. Or women are better than men, okay? Men and women are inherently equal in their dignity, in their value as image bearers of God. And yet, the way that a man tends to reflect the image of God is a little bit different than the way that a woman reflects the image of God. And here's just my kind of personalized summary. Men tend to reflect, and you're going to say, where'd you get this from? Just wait, we'll get there, okay? But I'm just going to go ahead and telegraph it early. Men tend to reflect about God that God is strong, that God shows up, that God is faithful and gets the job done. You can trust him. There's strength if you had to boil it down. A woman tends to reflect about the image of God that God is safe, God is warm. God is inviting. God is nurturing. God is caring. I mean, think about God. If all we knew about God is God is a strong God, you might respect Him, but you wouldn't be too excited about going to church on Sunday morning to worship Him. And if all you knew about God is, well, God's safe, you might love Him, but you might be really tempted to take advantage of His grace. But the combination of God is perfect in His strength and perfect in His safety when you come to Him in the right way is the perfect blend, right? He's, he's strength, He's truth, He's justice, He's righteous, and yet He's love, He's compassion. Now, let me just read some quotes by several different kind of Reformed authors that have thought about this that I think will be very helpful to us, okay? Um, it takes both men and women. This is Kathy Keller, the wife of Tim Keller a longtime pastor in Manhattan. It takes both men and women living out their gender roles in the safety of home and church to reveal to the world the fullness of the person of Jesus. Perhaps some inkling resides in the dance of the sexes by which we reveal truth about the inner life of the triune God. Guys, when you do this right, and I'm not talking about perfect, but in general when a a man and a woman inhabit their gender roles in the ways that reflect the image of God right to a watching world and you might be like who's watching our marriage your kids if you have them and let's just be honest who really cares about anybody else right 
I want to care about other people. I try to, right? I'm a minister. I'm supposed to. But it's some of us like, I uber care about my kids. That they really figure out who God is and what he's like. And the best way they're probably going to figure it out is watching how mom and dad relate, practically speaking. They'll see something of the glory of God. Um, here is uh, John Piper. We are not interchangeable. God intends for all the weaknesses that characteristically, he puts that in quote, okay, belong to man to call forth and highlight women's strengths. And God intends for all the weaknesses that characteristically belong to woman to call forth and highlight man's strengths. Men and women, as God created us, are different in hundreds of ways. Being created equally in the image of God means at least this. This has been so helpful to me. That when the so-called weaknesses and strength columns of manhood and womanhood are added up, the value at the bottom is going to be the same for each. And when you take those two columns and put them on top of each other, God intends them to be the perfect complement in each other. Does that make sense? Okay. We work together. We complement one another. Jim Boyce, who was the pastor of 10th Pres in Philadelphia for a long time, I love this quote. He says, a man is absolutely superior to a woman at being a man. And a woman is absolutely superior to a man at being a woman. Okay. Um, here's Tim and Kathy Keller together. Helper, you know, the, the woman is called the man's helper in chapter 2. We'll see that in a minute. Helper implies both have supplementary and complementary strengths and abilities that the other doesn't have and can't produce. Suitable means like opposite. Okay? Complementarian comes straight from the Bible. Just a couple more. Okay? Um, this is the Kellers again. It would be strange if God did not endow both men and women with distinguishable abilities to better fulfill their distinguishable calls. The most obvious are physical characteristics that enable women to bear and nurture children. But more subtle emotional and psychological endowments would be natural accompaniments to those physical differences, albeit on a spectrum. Men have a gift of independence, ascending gift. They look outward. They initiate. Okay. So, again, nothing we'll say tonight is about trying to find the superior sex. Okay. John Stott says somewhere, I can't remember where, but it's so good. He says, this is not chauvinism. This is creationism. All right. Um, so, I was talking to a liberally-minded non-Christian very recently, and uh, some of this type of stuff come up, came up, and I said, listen, here's what I want. I just want everybody to live in light of reality. There are natural laws in the universe like gravity. And you can say gravity doesn't exist, but it doesn't matter. Gravity still exists whether you believe in it or not. And go try to defy it, and it will, you'll feel the effects. And in a very similar way, there are laws of the universe that God has made men and women in certain ways that we're supposed to interact. They might be more subtle at times, but nevertheless, we need to try to biblically understand them. And listen, what does that look like at my job, at work, at the bank? With <laughs> This isn't the banking, okay, or the uh, job institute. We're just talking about marriage tonight, and, and trust me. Um, Stillman's, how long have y'all been married? Forty. Okay, I'm coming up on 24 years, and I don't know about y'all, but I'd say we've had plenty to figure out just how to do this well in our marriage. And so, don't feel like you got to go solve this for the whole universe. There, there will be plenty of challenges in your own marriage trying to learn how to be a godly man and a godly woman. Let's just focus on trying to figure it out there tonight. Okay. So, that was all the first point. Just to say, men and women are similar. Okay. 
But second point, here's how men are different. Men are made to work. Now, before you shut me down as some chauvinist, just hear what I'm trying to say from the Bible. Let's start in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to see a pattern. It's, it's amazing how clear it is once you start studying it. Genesis chapter 2, starting verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Skip down. Let's read verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So do you see man is made from the dirt for the dirt. You see that? Man is made literally out of the dirt, and it's like the first thing God does with him is say, go back to the dirt and work the dirt. Cultivate the dirt. Develop the dirt. Help the earth become the best it can be, the most fruitful. Okay? Um, now, he's alone at this point. That's where some of that independence comes from. Go into chapter 3. This is after Adam and Eve sin. I think we're all familiar with that story. And God comes to curse them for their sin. Skip down to the curse on Adam and look in... Chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Do you see the, the, the threefold clear pattern there? Man was made from the dirt. Man was given to the dirt. And then man was cursed in the dirt. Okay? There's something about the unique way that God made men that we are made to work. And again, does that mean women can't work? No. Doesn't mean that at all. Right? Listen, so much of what we're going to say tonight is about emphasis, not exclusion. Right? There's nothing in the Bible. I mean, if, if you do this later, okay, jot this down if this is important and interesting to you. Proverbs chapter 31, and just read verses 13 and 14 and 16 and 24. This is Old Testament, a very traditional society, a very patriarchal society. And it's talking about like the godly woman, that every godly man should want to grow up and marry a woman like this one day. And part of what it talks about is she considers a field and she buys it. That she's making things at home and she's selling them. She was a businesswoman, and not just in the home, knitting. Okay? She was out in the world doing business for the good of her family. So there's nothing in the Bible that says that women can't work. But what is it saying? Men are supposed to bear the heavier burden of work to provide for their family. And let's just say you're the most 21st century, liberally-minded, egalitarian, you know, we're just the same, we can all do the same. Just imagine this. And some of you don't have to imagine because you've been through it. But, but we're going back to caveman days together, okay, when the world first started, before we have all these modern conveniences. And you just had Junior, first little baby to the family. Okay? And think about it. A woman's body is made by God, and with all of our scientific advances, we have not been able to reproduce this one, have we? She houses the little human in her belly for nine months. And then when the little human comes out, she can feed the baby. She can keep him alive for months, maybe even years, with just her body. It's a miracle. I mean, technically, theologically, you don't call it a miracle, but it sure feels like a miracle. And the next day when she's hungry, because she's feeding the baby the whole time, if she rolls over to her husband, you know, Mr. Adam the caveman says, Hey, I'm really hungry. If he says, Well, 
I went out and killed some food yesterday. It's your turn. Uh, he's a terrible husband. She's like, I got my hands full, literally. I'm taking care of our baby. I'm feeding our baby all the time. My body was made to do this. Your body was made to go out there and kill some food and come home and feed me. Does that make sense? The man, it doesn't mean a woman can't work. It means the man is supposed to bear the heavier burden of providing for his family. Okay. Um, men are made to work. Listen, it's a blessing. It's a burden. It's a calling. Here's the danger. Okay. The danger is when a man abdicates that calling. And unfortunately, this has become far too common in the modern day world. I'd like to marry. I mean, it, 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 it almost seems like a sad joke, but un- unfortunately, it, it's, it's true. I, I know people that's happened to. I'm going to marry a sugar mama, and I'm just going to stay home and fold laundry and drink beer and watch soap operas if she wants to go to work all day. No, 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 please hear me, guys. A woman might be smarter. She might have a better job. She might make more money, and that's not necessarily sinful. The point is, when life gets tough and hard, that the man says, I will bear up under this responsibility. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Some of this is emotional and subjective. Okay. Um, but sometimes a man feels the thorns and thistles at work, so he just wants to abdicate. But the other extreme, and in my experience, you know, the type of people that are attracted to a church like Briarwood, this is the ditch that we're more tempted to fall into, men, is we work too much. We idolize our work. We start trying to find all of our sense of satisfaction, all of our sense of joy and significance and security in, look at me, look how hard I work, look how much I produce, and we can neglect our family because of work all the time. Okay, And that's obviously problematic. So um, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. You can underwork, you can overwork. But the happy middle is you are supposed to work. Even you say, all this is New Testament, Think about in the New Testament, one of the clearest verses on the differences between men and women is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And Peter's talking to husbands about being patient and gentle and kind with their wife, and he says, she is the weaker vessel. And even if you want to interpret that in the most narrow way, what does it mean? She's literally, physically, not as strong. I mean, just again, the most atheistic, materialistic person in the world has to agree Women, on average, have 30% less upper body strength than the average man. And what part of that about? Especially in an agrarian society, being able to work, being able to produce. Men are made to work. Now, men are made for relationships. Okay? Excuse me. Point three. Women are made for relationships. Let's go back and do the same thing with Eve that we did with Adam. Start in chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for that that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That's what we were talking about earlier, the helper suitable for him. Now, guys and girls, just like we said, a woman can work and often should work, and it's a good thing and a glorious thing for a woman to work. And just because we're saying men have some special calling to work doesn't mean women aren't supposed to be involved in work. In the same way, the fact that we're about to say women are made for relationships, guys, don't use that, hey, that guy said, uh, Bible study, women are made for relationships, not men, so I don't have to talk to you anymore. All right? That's not true. I mean, obviously we're relational beings. God's a relational being. Even in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're relational. Okay? But do we even need a Bible study on this to know that the average woman seems to be more gifted relationally than the average man? And look at how this plays out. Okay? 
Skip down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. I've got to make this joke. I've made it so many times, and I stole it from somebody else. I don't even remember who, but it's very helpful to me. You know, men, we were all asleep when women were made, and we woke up, and we saw a woman, and we were very excited, and we were very confused. We don't know what happened. And that basically sums up our relationship with women 20, you know, first century is. We, we, we like women. We're, we're very impressed and excited, and yet we're constantly confused. Um, and it's probably not going to change much in our lifetime. Okay? But notice, man was made from the dirt. What's woman made from? She's literally made from the man. When God first made man from the dirt, he sent him right back to work the dirt, so to speak. What is the first thing that God does with the woman? Verse 22, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The very first thing that happens to Adam is, go to work. The very first thing that happens to Eve is, go get married. She's made from the man for the man. Relationally. And just like man was supposed to take the earth and cultivate it and help the earth be the best it could be and flourish and produce, woman is supposed to come alongside the man as his strong helper and say, I want to cultivate you. I want to help you. I want to support you. I want to help you be the best you can be. We can do together. Part of God's calling on us is to multiply. You can't multiply by yourself. Together we can. And then going to chapter 3, when there's the curse on woman, and you know where this is going to go, Chapter 3, verse 16, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. She's cursed in her relationships. Now, if men tend to idolize their work, and you understand what I mean by that concept of idolize? If men try to, in some sense, treat their work like they're all, like their little G God that's going to meet all their needs. Do all men do this? No. But a lot do. If that's what the average man tends to idolize, what does the, the average woman tend to idolize? Relationships. And while that man oftentimes is off making a name for himself, if I can just climb the corporate ladder, if I can just make more money, if I can just get more positions or titles or whatever, oftentimes... Mama's at home. I want to be mom of the year. I'm going to serve my brains out at the school so everybody loves me. Or I'm going to be the perfect wife. Or I'm going to do all the comparison on Instagram or whatever else so our home looks the best. Da, da, da. And again, just like I said with a man, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. A woman can advocate her responsibility and just say, I'm not going to be a good supportive wife. I'm not going to be a mom. That's bad. But it's also bad if you throw your whole self into trying to find your deepest significance, satisfaction in relationships. Now, let's try to get really practical here and uh, talk about application. I started with a couple of stories at the very beginning. Men often tend to sin by being passive, by abdicating their leadership role, specifically in the marriage and the home. Now, are there exceptions? Are there men that don't abdicate, they abuse? Yes. And in some sense, that's obviously a lot more evil. Right? If you have some tyrannical husband who literally hits his wife and who's a micromanager controlling the home, I mean, that, that, that is wickedness incarnate. But here's the thing. Virtually every man that's doing that, he knows that that's wicked. Right? He tries to hide it. He doesn't let anybody know about it because deep down he's filled with shame. He knows how wicked it is. 
I know a lot of guys that are very passive in their leadership of their marriage and their home, and they ain't trying to hide it from anybody. They kind of boast in it. Look how modern and cool I am because they're stupid enough to not realize it might not be as outwardly ugly as the abuse, but the long-term effects might be just as detrimental. And you say, where's the science? How about this? I'll give you two Bible stories. The one we skipped over in chapter 3. I mean, how did Adam and Eve figure out a way, probably on day one or day two of creation, to ruin the whole universe for us? Adam got real passive. Adam knew the command. We're not supposed to eat from this forbidden tree. Satan was smart enough to skip Adam, start talking to Eve. And what did Adam do? Stand there with his hands in his proverbial pockets and do nothing. Passivity is what got us into this whole problem. Fast forward a few chapters in Genesis if you know your Old Testament trivia. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Sarai? It was actually Abram and Sarai at that point. Their names hadn't been changed. When God had said, I promise you're going to have a son. I know you're super old, right? You're 75 plus. Promise you're going to have a son. And they got sick of waiting. And Sarai said, I got a plan. I'm barren. This thing ain't going to happen. We got this young maid over here. She looks real healthy. Why don't you sleep with a maid and see if we can get a baby that way? Abram and his passivity said, okay, sounds like a great idea to me. You remember how that one went down? It worked. She got pregnant. She had a baby. And once she had the baby, she kind of started looking at scorn at grandma over there, right? Who she's not even going, you know, he's going to love me now. And do you remember how Sarah responded to that? Came back to Abram and says, how dare you? This is your fault. Right? And you know what he said? He said, not my fault. Do whatever you want. Kick her out. I could care less. I'm just telling you, this pattern, guys, is literally written into the history of humankind of men being passive and abdicating their responsibility. And women, you know, verse 16 in chapter 3, and probably a lot of you heard this before at the very end when it says, your desire shall be for your husband. That's not talking about sexual desire, okay? It's talking about the desire to control, the desire to manipulate, the desire to master Women want to take control. Something sin- Listen, there's something sinful in a man that tends to just give up and abdicate and be passive. And there's something sinful in a woman that tends to want to panic and kind of take control. And you've got to be aware of it. And you've got to be quick to stop yourself. And in the right time away, lovingly, talk to your spouse about not doing that. Okay? Uh, here's Piper again. Women affirm, receive, and nurture. Again, this is what they are gifted in. Women have non-directive influence, especially in the home. This doesn't mean that woman has no... Sometimes you mean the, the famous phrase, it's the hand that rocks the cradle that can change the world. Women, mothers, wives have gigantic influence. I mean, nobody in my life has more influence on me than my wife. And yet... I'm called to be the leader in our marriage, in our home. Okay. Now, um, husbands, step up and lead. Where is it in your life where you maybe are tending to be too passive and you need to step up and lead a little bit more? Maybe it's like with family devotion, something like that. I don't know. Okay. And then wives, Where are you maybe tending to be tempted to micromanage your husband a little bit too much? It's not wrong to give advice. It's not wrong to influence. It is wrong when you try to take the reins of control. 
affirm his leadership, help his leadership, encourage his leadership. Don't usurp his leadership. Okay? And, and listen, the most important thing, guys, is that you and your spouse figure out a way to get this dance of the godly man and the godly woman working in your marriage under the authority of what the Bible says. But listen, based on different personalities, different experiences, different upbringings, different cultures, different situations that you live in, the way that me and my wife work it out might be different than the exact way you and your wife work it out. Does that make sense? Let me just give you a real practical example. I know some marriages where the wife is better with money and numbers and budgeting and math and balancing the checkbook if you're still old school enough to do stuff like that. Make sense? And so they say, hey, honey, you're going to be in charge of the budget. That's not bad. The husband's like, I want you to be in charge. Help me. That can be a good thing if she's smarter, right? Maybe she's a finance major or she was an accountant. Here's when it can become a bad thing, and I've seen this happen. What if finances get really tight? And then she starts to bear all the emotional burden. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. And he's like, oh, that's your department. Remember, we agreed. We agreed on the honeymoon. You're going to be in charge. I don't like math. Now you got a problem. He's got to step back in, even if he's a moron with math, and say, I'll take the heavy burden on my back because I don't want you to feel that pressure. Does that make sense? There are literally a thousand different ways this may play out. The important thing is the man is stepping up to lead in in a gracious, kind, gentle way. And the woman is coming along beside, not under, but like a rib, coming alongside to support and to encourage. Now, one last thought I want us to end with, because as I kind of alluded to earlier, and I'll just say again in a clear, strong way, you're not going to get this perfectly right ever in your marriage. You can get better. It can become healthier. It can become happier. My wife and I were on a little trip last week, and there's, my car does something weird. I don't know why. It has two different defrost settings. So like when it's raining and it's cold, I have two different defrost settings. And there's one, okay? Maybe it's just my car. If I push one, it instantly defrosts the window. So it's like perfect for like two seconds. And then it starts fogging it again. The other one, if you push it, it very slowly defogs the window, but then it keeps it defogged for as long as you leave it on. Now, some of you are like, what in the heck does this have to do with marriage? My wife and I were driving. It was raining. It was cold. The window kept fogging, and my wife kept pushing the button that would do it instantly. And I would reach down and change it because I realized this one's going to backfire on us. She didn't ride in my car all the time, you know. And then we would stop and get out. And the same thing happened about three. And I finally said, will you let me handle it? You know, will you quit trying to take over the leadership of my car? No. <laughs> Again, and I could make that joke, right? Sometimes I make jokes and they don't go over well. That joke went over, you know, pretty well, okay? Because she realized it was kind of a small thing, okay? And I realized most of the stuff we're dealing with is a lot bigger than the defroster going down the interstate. But the point is, you're not going to get it perfect in this life. But you want to be fumbling together, fumbling forward together with some happy. And you realize, I'm not, per, I'm not a perfect husband, and you're not a perfect wife, and vice versa. And so we can be kind with each other. We can be gracious with one another. We can be patient with one another. And guys, here's where that ultimately comes from. Okay? Because Genesis chapter 3, we kind of skipped this verse. We looked at the curse on the woman. We looked at the curse on the man. What we skipped was the curse on the serpent. 
So Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 15. We'll just look at the second half of it. This is God speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is the very first proclamation in the entire Bible of the gospel. That one day in the future, God was to become a man. He was going to be a perfect man, a sinless man, who always led in the perfect right way. And when he got tempted by Satan, and when he saw all his people, the church, his bride, being tempted by Satan, he was going to step in. He was going to lead. And he was even going to say, the burden of wrath that my sinful people deserve for their sin before a just God, I will bear for them. I will be their substitute. So guys, here's our last thought. Men, when you as a husband are thinking rightly about Christ and you're worshiping Him, I'm a failure. I'm weak. Sometimes I abdicate and I get sick of abdicating. I come back in and I get angry and I abuse. I don't hit anybody, but I verbally hit somebody. And you think, Christ died for me. Christ covered me. Christ loves me. Christ is my perfect husband, spiritually speaking, and He's changing me. Out of that power, you can go back and apologize to your wife. I'm sorry I got angry. Sorry I'm yelled. Please forgive me. But then say, I'm not going to advocate again because of shame. My shame's been covered in Christ. I'm going to try again to be a good, godly, gentle, yet strong leader. Does that make sense? And women... Well, you say, I'm trying to keep my mouth shut, but he does such a bad job, I just can't help it. So I just keep jumping in and taking over and micromanaging. Because, let's just be honest, he ain't that great of a husband. Fair enough. But you look past your husband to the one true lover of your soul, the Lord Jesus. And he is perfect. And he controls everything just right for you, even the painful circumstances. And you trust Him in His goodness because He loved you enough to die for you. And He is a flawless leader that you say, I will follow this very flawed leader that I have in my marriage. Not because I trust my husband so much, but because I trust my risen Savior who stood in as my substitute. Does that make sense? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. Convict us where we sin. Encourage us where we are maybe overwhelmed, scared, and confused. And would you be growing us up in grace to be better Christians, better followers of you, better lovers and obeyers of Christ, but also that we would be better husbands and wives in the way that we follow, the way that we lead, the way that we serve, the way that we trust and obey. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.